What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Today's episode is a one that has been highly requested over the last two years we've been doing a podcast. Wow, two years. Yeah. And uh, it's one that I think a lot of people probably have heard of somewhat. Um, and it's technically not unsolved because technically it's not a uh, foul play case, but. A lot of people think it is. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. This is the story of the disappearance and deaths of Chris Crummers and Lizanne Froon. Hmm. You may not recognize the names, but they are the Dutch hikers that went missing and were found dead in Panama. Okay. Chris and Lizanne had been saving up for six months to take a fun friends trip together to Panama. They were hoping to learn Spanish, volunteer with children, and enjoy exploring a new country. Two weeks into their six-week trip, though, the two would go hiking on the El Pianista Trail, and this would be the last thing the two Dutch students did. Hmm. 21-year-old Chris Kremers grew up in Amersfoort, Utrecht, Netherlands. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I did look it up, (laughs) but I I apologize if if I uh, still butchered it. (laughs) Chris was creative and loved art. In 2014, she was attending the University of Utrecht, and she had just gotten a degree in cultural social education, specializing in art education, which I think is just so cool. Like, I've never heard of something like that. Yeah. (laughs) She had recently moved into a dorm room with her friend and fellow student, Lizanne Froon. 22-year-old Lizanne also grew up in Amersfoort, and she was intelligent and a passionate volleyball player. Nice. She had graduated in September 2013 with a degree in applied psychology. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> the girls lived together and they worked together at a cafe and they were saving up their money to go on this trip to Panama as soon as Chris graduated. It was kind of like their graduation Yeah, celebration. celebration. Yeah. And like I said, they wanted to go to Panama because not only did they want to explore a new country, but they also wanted to improve their Spanish, volunteer with local children. They wanted to teach arts and crafts and then also just celebrate their graduations. That's amazing. The two arrived in Panama on March 15th, 2014, and they spent the first two weeks touring the country on their own. On March 29th, they arrived in Boquette, Chiriqui, where they would spend the next month living with a local family while volunteering with children. So it was kind of like first two weeks they were exploring on their own and they were going to live with a family. And that's when the volunteering and stuff would really begin. Okay. According to Strange Outdoors, Boquette or Boquette, I found it pronounced differently depending on like if the person was English or spoke Spanish. But (laughs) yeah, either way, um, It is a small town, small mountain town. It's about 37 miles from the Costa Rican border. And the town is in Panama's Green Mountain Highlands. And it's about 3,900 feet above sea level. 
So it's up in the mountains and it is beautiful. Uh, There's cooler temperatures because they're up high and it's a very popular town for tourists when they are visiting Panama. Okay. On April 1st, around 11 a.m., Lizanne and Chris decided to go hiking in the nearby clouded forest that surrounded the Baru volcano. They were going to be taking the El Pianista Trail, which is about a five-mile-long trail and typically takes about three and a half to four hours to complete. This trail is considered a moderately challenging route, but it's frequented by tourists visiting the area, and it's kind of one of those where it's like, it's going to be challenging, so don't go if you can't handle Handle good hiking, but it's not like the craziest trail ever. Yeah, not like Mount Everest or something wild like that. <laughs> right, exactly. Still very like expertise level. Yeah, like you don't do it if you're a beginner. <laughs> I'm not going to do it because I'm not no. good at hiking. <laughs> no, I actually hate hiking. That's like one of my least. Uh, well, it depends. I like okay. hiking if it's like going to like a waterfall, like a short distance, but just to hike up a mountain and hike down, it's just not really my jam. Sorry, guys. Same. And I feel so bad about it because everybody like loves hiking and I feel like I should love hiking, but it's like, I I don't want to, I don't know. I just don't enjoy it. I don't have fun. I'm not in good enough shape for it. Like even when I'm in yeah. shape, I'm not in good enough shape That's for it. That's what I'm saying. Like even when I was like really active and like much thinner, I still <laughs> hated hiking. So yeah. And it's like, you, yeah, you could get some beautiful views and stuff, but like I'd rather do something else. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe everybody's going to hate us now and turn off our podcast. <laughs> hey, you know what? Do do what you love. Do and, each their own. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So this trail is considered moderately challenging, but the jungle beyond it is rugged and steep and can be very dangerous, especially during the wet season, which lasted from April to October. So while they were there. Right. Okay. So this was a mild weather day that they were going and going deep into the trail would be, you know, challenging, but going off the trail would be dangerous for anyone. Yeah. Let's don't do that. Before embarking on the hike, Chris and Lizanne shared on Facebook that they were planning to walk around Boquete, and they posted about having brunch with two young Dutchmen before leaving for the trailhead. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Some sources reported that they brought a dog with them on the hike. So this dog was um, belonged to the owners of the Il Pianista restaurant that was near the trailhead that they ate at. and. Um, they had basically let their dog go with the girls on the hike and they became alarmed when the dog returned home that night without Chris and Lizanne. Oh no. So this is only in some sources. Some sources say there wasn't the dog with them, but interesting. Yeah. It, so it's kind of confusing if that actually happened, but right. if it did, the dog came back without the girls. Okay. Photos discovered later showed Chris and Lizanne on the hike, and it showed that they reached the peak around 1 p.m. They were posing for pictures at the Il Mirador uh, lookout. And typically, hikers turn around at this point to head back, but for some reason, the women decided to keep hiking. So you can see this in pictures because there's pictures of them hiking like deeper into the trail. And I think it's technically still on the trail, but... It's kind of like the part that not many people go on. Some say that the girls had wanted to hike to a waterfall that was deeper in the jungle after doing research 
in the days prior to the hike. So that was kind of like why they kept going. But again, okay. this isn't confirmed. I can understand that. That that's that would be my motivation too, because I love waterfalls. So yeah. I could understand like why they would wanna maybe go a little bit further than they were comfortable with. Right. And like from the photos, it was like a nice sunny day out. Like, why wouldn't you? It's only one PM. Yeah. Got plenty of time. Yeah. We know that they went deeper because there's a photo of Chris crossing a small stream which is definitely past the peak and this was taken at 1:54 p.m. Okay. By that evening though, Chris and Lizanne were not back to the house that they were staying at. Their parents also did not receive text message updates that night, which they had been consistently sending every day of their trip. Mm. The next morning, Chris and Lizanne missed an appointment they had with a local guide. And that's when the host family knew something was wrong. Yeah. They alerted authorities and the next that next morning after they missed their appointment and quickly searches began. Locals began searching the village and the lightly wooded areas of the forest and an aerial search by helicopter was done of the forest, but nothing was found. Worried and unable to do anything from the Netherlands, both Chris and Lizanne's parents flew out to Panama, and they arrived on April 6th, five days after the girls had gone on the hike. With them were police, dog units, and detectives from the Netherlands. Oh, wow. Okay. And for the next 10 days, there was a full-scale search of the forest. You know, of course, they couldn't search every inch of it because of how rugged and, like, deep it is, but... They did everything they could, but nothing was found. There was no sign of Chris and Lizanne. And unfortunately, after this initial search effort, there wasn't much that they could do. Like, they could continue to search the forest, but it was so massive that the hope of finding anything was pretty minimal. Yeah, and how do you even, like, mark off where you've searched? I mean, obviously, you can right. use a map, but even still, that just seems uh, it's too yeah. like too broad for my brain to process (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like they you know there were searches that continued here and there and people that would go hike on the trail would look out for them but there wasn't much more they could do and the efforts really started to slow down and then on june 14th 2014 10 weeks after lizanne and chris disappeared something was found Mm. a local woman was walking along the riverbank near her village of alto romero when she came across a blue backpack And I will post um, a map of this so you guys can kind of see where things were found. But this is about 10 and a half miles or 17 kilometers away from Boquete, where the woman had left from that morning. Okay. This spot was also about five miles or eight kilometers away from the summit of the La Pianista Trail, which we know the woman reached that afternoon. Right. So you can see on the map, if you're looking on Instagram, that the backpack was found, you know, a, a yeah. short distance, but still a distance from the peak. Right. So this woman turned the backpack into the police and they quickly confirmed that it was Lizanne's. Inside the backpack was her passport, two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, a camera, two bras, and the woman's phones. And everything was in pretty good condition, including the bag itself. So it wasn't like wet or damaged, despite spending the last 10 weeks or so in the jungle and or river. And it was 
during the wet season too. Yeah, exactly. So that's peculiar. Yeah. And the woman who found the backpack said that she had not seen it when she was in the same location the day before. Now, there had been heavy rains in the area at the few weeks beforehand. But again, the bag wasn't soaked or even like wet if it had been sitting like out in heavy rains. Yeah. So this became part of a theory later that we'll discuss. But that's definitely the first indication of like, this kind of feels off. This, this feels like a setup. <laughs> yeah. Now, the discovery of the phones led to a lot of information for the police. So there were two phones, and I'm going to go through the timelines of calls made from both of them. So there was Chris's iPhone 4 and Lizanne's Samsung Galaxy S3. There were 77 calls that were attempted from the phones to both the 112 international emergency in Netherlands and 911, the emergency number in Panama. That's so heartbreaking. And they just didn't have signal, I assume. Yep. Out of all the calls, one made contact, but it broke up after just two seconds. And the rest of them, the women were just too deep in the jungle for any calls to make it out. So the first distress call was from Chris's phone at 4.39 p.m. on April 1st. So this was about six hours after they began their hike. The phone attempted to call 112 and 911. Twelve minutes later, Lizanne's phone attempted to call 112. But these calls didn't go through because they had no service whatsoever. On April 2nd at 6.58 a.m., the second call attempt to 112 came from Lizanne's phone. At 8.14 a.m., another attempt from Chris's phone. And at 10.52 a.m., the third attempt from Lizanne's phone. At 1.50 p.m., Lizanne's phone checked the signal for the first time with no luck. And then after that, the phone remained off for the entire night. They checked the signal again at 4.19 p.m., almost 24 hours after the first distress attempt was made. Her phone was turned off at 7.36 a.m. on April 3rd, likely to conserve battery. That morning, Chris's phone attempted to call at 9.32 a.m., checked the signal twice during the day, and Lizanne's phone was turned back on on April 4th and checked the signal twice, and then the battery on Lizanne's phone died. Okay. On the 4th, Chris's phone checked the signal a couple of times, and then between April 5th and 11th, Chris's phone was turned on multiple times, but the PIN code for the phone was never entered again. Hmm. And it was either not entered or not entered correctly. So, like, basically the phone wasn't unlocked again. They were able to tell that on April 6th, there were several attempts to unlock the phone with the incorrect PIN, but it was never unlocked again okay and it's reported that there were 77 attempts made to access the phone between april 7th and 10th wow so that's definitely interesting yeah on april 11th the phone was turned on at 10 51 a.m and turned off for the final time at 11 56 a.m and it was turned on again it was never turned on again but it still had 22 percent battery remaining hmm. Clearly, Chris and Lizanne were attempting to call for help, but never were able to get through. What's eerie... Go ahead. 
No, you go. I was just going to, okay. I was just going to say, it almost makes me wonder if like one of them was injured and the other one was mm-hmm. trying to access her phone because maybe hers yep. was already dead. Yep. And you're going exactly into my next point because awesome. for six days, Chris's phone was turned on multiple times, but never unlocked. So one theory is that possibly Chris was injured and Lizanne was the one trying to get into her phone, but didn't know her password passcode. Right. And then there's also theories that there was a stranger that was attempting to find service. Yeah, I thought that too. But we likely will never know what was happening during those six days. Mm. Also found in the backpack was Lizanne's camera, which had even more information to try to piece together a timeline of what happened. There were over 100 photos taken. The first set of photos were from April 1st, showing the women had taken the trail to the Overlook, They were walking through the wilderness, and this was hours before the first emergency call attempts. And the photos that um, I'll post on Instagram from this, which I haven't yet sent you, Andrea, but Mm -hmm. the photos of the girls hiking and stuff were from that part of the day. And then on April 8th, so a week after they went missing, there were 90 flash photos that were taken within a three-hour time period. So this was four days after the last time Chris's phone was unlocked and three days before the final signal check on her phone before it was turned off for good. These photos had been taken between 1 to 4 a.m. on the 8th, and they looked to be taken deep in the jungle and in near complete darkness. Yeah, that's so scary. So you can see a variety of things in these photos. There are photos of the girls belongings spread out you can see rain falling in some of these photos you can see a few photos that showed they were possibly near a river or ravine a few photos were of twigs with a plastic with plastic bags on top of a rock there were candy wrappers piled around or on mounds of dirt one photo showed what looked like a backpack strap and mirror on another rock and then The creepiest photo was a close-up of the back of Chris's head and hair, and it looked Mm. as if there was blood coming from her temple on the right side. Mm. So that's one of the photos that I'll post, and it's kind of hard to, like, see, but it's very weird that this was the back of Chris's head, but this was during the time frame where her phone was not unlocked. Right. So it's like... If she was not alive at that point and and Lizanne was trying to get into her phone, what was this? It's very confusing. Yeah. And it was pitch black. So, I mean, they could have been, obviously, I think they were probably using the camera for light because they didn't mm-hmm. want to waste the battery on their phone. And yeah, maybe she was injured and trying to see how bad what it was. was. Going on. Yeah. But then again, it's like, why wasn't she able to unlock her phone? Right. Mm, yeah lots of mystery yeah and other than that photo of the back of chris's head there were no photos of the women that were like clear that you could actually see them yeah and like you said the reasoning behind these photos is super unclear so some theorize that they were trying to use the flash to find their way out of like the deep jungle maybe but a lot of these photos were taken low down under foliage so how would that help them get out like yeah 
that, you know, that's not necessarily looks like they're trying to use the camera to like flash their way out. Right. Or maybe they heard something and they were hiding, trying but, but trying oh. to figure out like what it was. But then if they were hiding, why would they be using their light? I don't know. Right. There's, true. Ah, so many questions. Yeah. There's also theories that they were trying to document where they were. But again, it didn't really seem like that's what the photos were doing. Right. So this was, and still to this day, is very unclear. But the discovery of the backpack and these photos and the phone records led to a renewed search effort along the Calubre River. And during this new search is when an unfortunate twist in the case took place. Mm. And again, you can see on the map that I'll post on Instagram and Facebook where things were found. Yeah. First, Chris's denim shorts were found on top of a rock. This was about a 14-hour walking distance from the backpack and about an 8-hour walking distance from Boquete. Early rumors said that the shorts were neatly folded, but a picture of these shorts released in 2021 proved otherwise. Like what? Yeah. What's the point of I that? I don't know. Like why? I know. Why even make that up? Because people were trying to be like, oh, they were neatly folded. Like somebody put them there. But it's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. I want to give a trigger warning before I go into the next section because some of this may be difficult to hear for some listeners. So you may want to skip ahead like 30 to 45 seconds. After more searches of the area, on June 19th, bones were discovered. Behind a tree in the vicinity of Alto Romero, even closer to where the backpack was found, a pelvis and foot inside of a boot were found. Shortly after that, at least 33 bone fragments were found scattered along the same riverbank, and this was a few miles from a cable bridge that some investigators believed is the one in the nighttime photos. Other bone fragments were found miles apart, all following the direction of the river. Mm -hmm. DNA testing confirmed that these bones belonged to Chris Kremers and Lizanne Froon. Wow. So the initial theory when the bones were found was that they had either been attacked by a predator and died, and then the predator like scattered their bones, or that they had died naturally after being lost for so long and predators had gotten to them afterwards. Yeah. But forensic analysis kind of seemed to point other ways. But before I get into that, I want to point out that their official cause of death has never been ruled. Wow. So it's inconclusive. Exactly. There have been a lot of theories about foul play being involved, but investigators have never confirmed that. They've also never denied it, though. Yeah. I mean, I guess at that point, I mean, all they had was skeletal remains, so it's they're so li- like they're so limited to what they can mm-hmm. decipher based on that evidence. Mm-hmm. So let's go through some of this evidence. First of all, the cut of the bone of the foot was clean and there was no blood found on it. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. But there were no other signs of cutting, gunshots, teeth or claw marks on the bone. Hmm. The bones did not seem to be in the state they would be in had natural decomposition taken place. Okay. So Lizanne Froon's bones still had some skin attached to them, which was closer to what would have been like if it was natural decomposition. Right. 
And then in August 2014, a fragment of skin was found on the bank of the river that was linked to Lizanne. Okay. Interestingly, this fragment was in an earlier state of decomposition, unlike Chris's remains. Okay. Chris Kremer's bones appeared to have been bleached. According to eForensics, during decomposition, after the flesh is gone, the skeleton is left without protection from the sun. So sunlight can cause bleaching, shrinkage, and warping of bones. Sun bleaching occurs when a bone is left on the surface of the ground or is only partially buried. Bone that is exposed to sunlight will undergo discoloration, taking on a bleached or whitened appearance. Now, in this case, though, this really shouldn't have happened. Because if the body had decomposed naturally near a river the bones would have sunk to the bottom of the water because they're heavier than water. So they wouldn't be sitting out where the sun could bleach them. Right. And the bones would have had markings from friction with the riverbed. And there there were no scratches on the bones. So weird. According to one Panamanian forensic anthropologist who examined the bones under magnification, quote, there are no discernible scratches of any kind on the bones neither of natural nor cultural or- origin. There are no marks on the bones at all. That's so weird. Right? Because, like, I mean, chances are if they, you know, sadly were left, you know, after they passed away, were out in the wild, you would think that the that animals, animals would get to them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there would be, like, claw marks, teeth marks, something. Yeah. One bone fragment attributed to Chris was extremely odd. So this was a half of a pelvis. And under natural decomposition, a pelvis from a younger person does not easily break in half. Yeah. It's not likely caused by predators because no serious markings were found on the bone. And finally, a joint tissue that typically remains intact for years under natural decomposition was just missing. Ew. Okay. Yeah. But all of this could be explained if Chris's remains were not in the river. So if they were far enough off the riverbank that they didn't sink into the river and were set out in the sun for weeks to decompose, this is what they would look like. Right. So just some very confusing forensic A lot of contradictory things happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it just... Nothing affirmatively points to one thing happening or another thing happening right and i can understand like different levels of decomposition and different circumstances for each Mm -hmm. of the girls because it is likely that maybe one passed away before the other one right but i still like the fact that there's no signs of animal teeth marks or anything claw marks or anything like that that's suspicious to me yeah i agree And, like, no friction from a riverbed. So it's, like, how did they get to where they got? But there were also heavy rain. So that could have affected it. But it's so – it's just so confusing. After the women's bodies were found, police questioned locals, tour guides, and other hikers that had been in the area at the time. But no one had seen the women. And other than the photos and phone logs, there was no evidence pointing to what had happened. Right. Now, as we've mentioned, there are many theories in this case. There's even a theory that Chris is still alive and was sex trafficked, 
but there's no evidence of that and in many of the bone fragments match her dna so like okay come on. yeah that's a weird thing i mean everyone always points to that when someone goes when someone disappears which is a good you know a, a likely situation that right could, uh, it can happen. happen but in this case we have forensic evidence pointing to her being deceased and unfortunately so exactly the panamanian authorities theory is that the woman had fallen off of that cable bridge that ran mm. over the river and were washed away in the water north toward where they were found now, these bridges are known for being very dangerous, and especially if it was raining, that could have been the cause of the women's deaths. Okay. And this would make sense except for the fact that the bones were bleached, but then again, they could have been in the river for a little while and then somehow washed up on the riverbank. Like, yeah. we just don't know. And so deep in the forest, you don't know what the exact conditions were like. So it's right. kind of hard to say for sure, like, oh, this rain definitely would have brought them there because you just don't know. And what about the foot? I mean, her foot was still in her boot and you said it was a clean. It was a clean cut. A clean cut. So, yeah, that wouldn't really support that theory in my, in no. my opinion. But I'm not a friend. No, and it's, <laughs> and it's hard to say, but also like if it hit a sharp rock or something at just the right angle at the right speed, like I don't know. And it's hard yeah. for anyone to say that because nobody, sorry, I hit my microphone. Nobody knows <laughs> the like conditions of the forest at that time. Correct. Now at first Panama, Panama's attorney general actually declared the case a homicide and then by October 2014, Panamanian state officials described the deaths as cases of abduction. Okay. So they definitely are suspecting foul play. Right. At whatever capacity. Right. But as more was discovered and more forensic analysis was done, the case was officially closed and considered an accident. Hmm. Dutch authorities also concluded that the deaths were likely an accident. Okay. However, there are several private investigators from the netherlands that theorized some sort of foul play was involved and that someone was responsible for their deaths so a big part of this theory is supported by the backpack seeming to have been placed where it was found because yeah. like we talked about it wasn't wet it wasn't damaged despite there being heavy rains in the area the weeks prior to its discovery yeah some believe that the bag was purposefully placed where it was found in June 2014 to purposefully be found. Hmm. Why though? You know? Yeah. Like if you killed somebody and got away with it, why, why would, would you... you not? Yeah. Maybe they wanted to just get rid of it because they had it in their position. So yeah, they're like, Oh, let me just put this back in the forest and they'll just think, Oh, naturally it. That's true. Landed here. Yeah. There's also the question about a potential missing photo from the camera. Now, many of the photos on April 1st were taken by Lizanne of Chris hiking ahead of her. In the metadata, image number 508 has two versions. One that shows it was taken eight seconds after photo 507, and one that shows it was taken 50 seconds before the next photo. Okay. So, this could be due to manual ma manipulation of the metadata, but after image 508, there are no more daytime photos. 
So that was the last daytime photo. And then photo 509 was missing. So it went from 508 to 510. Interesting. Experts attempted to recover photo 509, but were unsuccessful. And they also deemed that it would be impossible for the camera to skip over the number. So they're saying, like, there's no way this was, like, the camera just accidentally skipping over. That's insane that they can even figure that out. I know. But it's so frustrating that they couldn't recover it because it's like. I know. I mean, is there any chance that, like, I mean, I know I do this. Like, if I take a picture and it's, like, not great quality, I'll delete it and then take another picture. Right. So that's kind of the theory but in this case there was no reason to believe they would have done that because all of the other photos from the trip were there and none were deleted no like their whole trip in general they didn't delete like a single bad photo or anything yeah okay and the memory card still had plenty of space on it so it's not like it would have they would have deleted something to make space right Dutch investigators remain certain that someone purposefully deleted photo 509 for some reason. This photo could be extremely important. It was between, it was the one between the daytime photos and the mysterious nighttime photos from seven days later. So it's like, what was that photo of? Maybe somebody. Yeah. All that being said, though, there also could have been a camera malfunction. There were two instances of metadata for the same photo, number 508. So maybe the camera was taking one of those as 509 and then went straight to 510. So maybe there wasn't a missing photo. That's such a huge coincidence, though, for me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely is suspicious. People questioned why the women didn't return or didn't turn around after making the first distress call. Because they, the the place where they fell into the river according to the authorities that ruled this an accident was like 12 hours away from where they could have turned around. Likely because someone was injured. Yeah. And then I wonder if like, what if it was her foot stuck Mm. and she was forced to... That's a good I don't know. I watch too many movies, but you know, you've seen that. Like when someone's foot gets stuck and they have like the only way to get out of this situation is to you know self-amputate it yeah Yeah. i mean yeah that's a that's a great theory that definitely could be a possibility and then maybe as it got dark they got turned around and didn't know where they were going so they just kept walking to try to find something and unfortunately they were going deeper into the forest instead of back the other way yeah But for every theory in this case, there is another side of it that makes just as much sense. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of unanswered questions, and I don't really want to speculate any further to respect the victims and their families just because. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. Like what you're I think what you're saying is a totally valid theory. Um, There's just some people that try to go too into like the sensationalize it, Mm -hmm. make it all. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to do any of that. Like there's people who think they're both still alive and it's like, Mm. just stop. Just, just stop. Whether they met with foul play or it was an unfortunate accident, there are so many unanswered questions in this case. And it's frustrating that there likely will never be answers. Yeah. Chris Kremers and Lizanne Froon were beautiful, kind, talented young women who had incredible lives ahead of them. 
like I said, whether they were victims of foul play or died by an accident, their lives were taken way too soon. I'd love to hear what you guys think. If you think that there was foul play involved or if you think it was an accident, I go back and forth because it's like there are so many mysterious things like the backpack not being wet, the state of some of the bones. But then I'm like, well, I mean, who knows? The backpack is the biggest one for me, but the bones, it's like not all of their bones were discovered. So it's hard to say for sure, like exactly what happened. There's so many environmental things that can happen to bone, like skeletal remains. So that part of it. In this forest that we don't know everything about and we don't know the exact weather conditions that they went through. Like it's so hard to know. And honestly, it could be a combination of both. I mean, yeah, it really could. I mean, somebody could have found one of them after the mm-hmm. fact. I mean, we there's just no telling. Yeah, it's there's so many theories. And like I said, with each theory there, it makes sense for that to be true. But also then there's other stuff that you're like, oh, well, maybe that makes sense for it not to be true. Yeah. But that is the story of the mysterious disappearance and deaths of Chris Kremers and Lizanne Froon. And I hope that their families are able to find some sort of peace and healing, knowing that their loved ones were doing amazing things while on this trip to Panama. So They're remembered by many by for the incredible women that they were. And it's just so, yeah, it's so heartbreaking. It's so frustrating it that there's, while it's technically been ruled an accident by authorities it's still there's still questions about it and there's still of course sleuths who try to go in sensationalized directions but then there's also like legitimate questions about yeah what happened this is one of those cases where you end up with more questions than answers I feel like and the more they find out the more questions there are and that is just so frustrating for the families because I feel like even though they know that, you know, that they had passed on, like, there's no closure there. Yeah. And even, like, I just don't think you could for sure say, I mean, maybe they can. Maybe the families have come to peace with it being an accident. I don't know. But yeah. if I were them, I feel like I would be able to say for sure this was an accident. And if you aren't, if you don't have a definitive answer, it's really hard to get closure. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. Again, please let us know your thoughts because I'd love to hear what others think about this. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time with a brand new story. And until then, keep it human. <laughs>